From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. And it's time now for preseason previews. We're going to go through each unit. And uh, since this is more of a good news, bad news situation, um, well, I'm one of those people who would prefer generally to hear the bad news first. We're going to do the offense in this episode first rather than releasing defense first. Uh, Going to follow up with the defense. Probably going to release that Monday, but I might release it over the weekend depending uh, on how all this goes. But We're going to go ahead and uh, get to the offense here and what Florida State fans can expect from Florida State's offense in Mike Norvell's first go-round as the head coach and also offensive coordinator, guy running his offense uh, for Florida State. So just in general, want to talk a little bit about my philosophy of thinking forward to how to project a season. Now, this is a really strange season, but just in general, how to project a season based on positions and based on roster talent and so on. As a general rule, my my thought is what you want to do is you want to look at what happened last year for that same group of people. And then you want to take a look at what positions and what units are going to be an upgrade. What positions or units can you expect to be a downgrade? That should help stave off a bit of over-optimism in terms of how good you think a a team, a given team is going to be. Everybody always expects that their team, the team that they're covering or the team that they're rooting for or whatever to be better in the off season than they were last year. Very rarely do you get teams that, you know, fans that come back and they go, well, you know, this team, uh, they they weren't that good last year, but man, they're going to be worse this year. That's just not the way that things normally work. And with the preseason, uh, hype train that always always starts up, and especially for these big programs that are covered by lots of people, that preseason hype train is going to default toward this, this team's going to be improved. And there's also a lot of optimism when you have a new coaching staff and a new system and there's buy-in from players and all of that that, well, you know, this this team's got a chance to be a lot better. But what you have to do to kind of stave that off and say, wait a second, how much better can we expect this team to be? Or can we expect this this team to be better or this unit, this side of the ball to be better? First thing you want to do is go, okay, well, what's the talent level? And what was the talent level last year? Is this team, can you expect this team to be better at this position given the personnel? So that's what we're going to be doing mostly in this, in this podcast. And I'm just going to say up front, in broad strokes, if you look at Florida State's offense, by and large, they return a lot of the same pieces from last year Minus their best offensive player, Cam Akers. And Akers was basically the only thing that went right on Florida State's offense most of last year. Basically, you had Cam Akers and uh, and Tamorian Terry. And beyond that, you didn't have a whole lot that went right for the Florida State offense in terms of guys living up to potential, in terms of a, a ton of things going on. And really, without Akers, 
how many how many games does Florida State win without Cam Akers last year? They win three games, maybe. Did they win four games? I, I don't know. Because Akers was a straight up, he was a man among boys last year playing behind a terrible offensive line and in a situation where he wasn't getting a whole lot of support. And he still balled out. And I think it's one of those things where what he's going to do at the next level in the NFL, provided he can stay healthy and not and 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 wasn't ruined by how much tre- tread he had to run off the tires behind that offensive line. If he's able to stay healthy in the NFL, you're going to see how good that guy actually is. So broad strokes, you're looking at an offense that by and large is returning most of its players minus its best player from last year and doesn't have anywhere near that talent at running back to replace him. So that, I'm just going to front that with something something to think about in terms of this overall preview that you kind of have to keep that in mind in terms of what to expect from Florida State's offense. Well, understand that any super optimism that you might have has to be mitigated by, okay, well, they, they weren't going to be, they wouldn't have been very good without Akers last year and they don't have Akers this year. And they don't have somebody else stepping into that role that's that kind of player. There aren't many, very many of those kinds of players. So just start there and then we'll work, uh, we'll work from there. But once you've got that, once you've, once you've started at the question of position or segment upgrades or, or downgrades, the next question you have to, to come into is, okay, if you've got a change in coaching staff or a change in coordination or system, how much can you expect from that coaching change or f- from that change in system? How much, can, how much is that going to affect things? How much is that going to positively affect things? How much is any transition going to cause more difficulties, more n- negative outcomes? You know, things like uh, motion penalties and formation issues and, you know, boneheaded things that happen when players aren't familiar with the system. You know, it takes really two years to get accustomed to what you're asked to do in most offenses. And, you know, these guys are not accustomed to being asked to do a lot of com- complex stuff. The guys that were under Taggart and and, uh, and Bryles, they were not used to being asked to do a lot of a lot of complexity. They weren't asked to do a lot of uh, formations and a lot of variation in terms of uh not quite as many route adjustments and things as what you have in Norvell's offense, although there's quite a few choice routes and route adjustments in, in Bryle's offense, so that's helpful. Wasn't much in Taggart's offense. But basically, you're going to get, uh, you're, you're going to have to look at what the what the downside of, of the transition period is going to be as, you, as you're in the first year in a system versus how much different things might help the personnel that's there. So those are things that you that you have to look at just philosophically when you're starting a preview and you're trying to figure out how good a team or a unit might be coming into a new year. And actually I did just uh, post a video up on, uh, on Patreon evaluating. This is part one of a, of a couple videos that I'm going to post and I'm going to get a couple more up over the weekend. Uh, evaluating what Mike Norvell did as an offensive coordinator in their game against Ole Miss last year, where they won that game despite being really outclassed up front by the SEC defense that they faced, what did he do to help his offense and to make sure that they didn't wind up basically turning the ball over a bunch or just going on a bunch of three and outs? And you can see that there probably is some some reason for optimism in terms of some help that this offensive scheme and, and that Norvell's approach to football, both as a, as a coordinator and as a head coach, that there's going to be some things that are going to, are going to help this offense. Uh, for one, you can see that he he is really flexible 
in terms of offering a lot of schematic help for where he's weak on def- uh, on offense. And you can see that game, not only in terms of season season long stuff, but game to game. What they did against Ole Miss was very different than what they did through the rest of their schedule. You could see them running the football a ton over the course of the rest of their schedule last year. Against Ole Miss, you go through that first quarter and they, they hardly hand the ball off. They, they've got a bunch of RPOs called and all this. Yes, but by and large, they're not handing the ball off to their backs much simply because you can see that they're outclassed up front and he's got all sorts of little things that he's working his way in. He's got double screens. He's got single screens. He's got bubbles. He's got spot screens. He's got sprint outs. He's got rollouts. And that's just in the first three or four drives. First three drives of the game, he did all of those things. And all of that is basically to slow down that that defensive line, th- those linebackers from the better from the team that's better on the line of scrimmage and give his offensive line some help and to give his quarterback some help to make sure that he's not being asked to throw into the teeth of the defense while basically trying to do it while on his back. So you could see that that's his approach and that's, that's pretty different from what we've seen the last couple of years. I mean, that, that lack of flexibility was one of my, that was my biggest concern about Taggart coming in, in terms of Taggart's system was a system, you know, in that, He's going to he's going to spread you out. The Gulf Coast offense is going to do what it does. And if you don't have guys that fit the fit that offense especially well or if you've got guys that do other things better, it's just not what they're going to be asked to do. Uh Jimbo's offense was extremely flexible and you know he every offseason, every season, every you know every major big game, that offense was, you know, it was formless, shapeless and then morphed into something to approximate the talent that he had on board, particularly at quarterback. I mean, Jimbo is a quarterback first guy and he would reshape that offense completely based on who is under center. I mean, you go back to Christian Ponder's first year and running a bunch of option against Miami and coming out uh, with that or uh, the same same kind of stuff, running a bunch of option and read option with EJ Manuel early on. Uh, simply because those guys weren't able to do the things that Jameis Winston was able to do. And then with Jameis, you didn't see any of that, but you saw a ton of stuff thrown down the field. So that kind of flexibility is is what's built in to Norvell's offense as well. And he's every bit as flexible, if not more so, than what you've got with Jimbo, partly because he's, I think, more flexible in terms of uh, varied tempo and all of that in, in just his, his approach. So there's more flexibility there that's built in, not only in terms of season, but game to game, in terms of how they'll game plan for a given team where, okay, well, we, we don't think we can block these guys that well. And you could see that that was the case against Ole Miss. They're going to do that. They're going to they're gonna say, well, then, that's, that, then we're going to have to go to a bunch of this in terms of how we call this game so that we don't wind up in, in bad situations and, and end up turning it over or putting our defense in a bad spot simply because we're trying to, get, we're, we're trying to do what we do on offense. Well, they, we can't do that against them. So there's more willingness from from Norvell to to do that sort of thing to help his offense and to help his overall team than what what we've seen the last couple of years. So I think that's going to be a really good thing. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, then we're going to come back and start with again the worst news. Put the bad news first. We're going to talk offensive line. I want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. 
Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All right, looking at the offensive line, this is the place where if this and quarterback, if you want anywhere anywhere to improve, to really make, let this team take a leap forward, you hope it's on the offensive line because if the offensive line gets straight, suddenly you can run the football, suddenly you can uh, protect a little bit better for throwing downfield, and a lot of things look easier. But when you start looking at comparing rosters and looking at, okay, well, where can you expect the improvement to come in? The, there's reason for less optimism, perhaps, than what uh, a lot of fans would like here. Uh, essentially, when you look at the depth charts from last year and coming into this year, your 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 interior is the same. You've got Dante Lucas, Bavion Johnson, and Brady Scott. Scott and Lucas have flipped sides, but other than that, it's the same thing. You've got Dante Lucas, Bavion Johnson, and Brady Scott. Those three guys on the interior, and the interior wasn't bad last year. Now, I will say this, Dante Lucas is a year older. Last year is a true freshman coming in, so that helps. But he's also coming off an ankle injury. So, you know, how how much how much of a an improvement do you really expect there at this stage? I'd say you basically work your way across unless there's been some some significant gains in the weight room from these three. You can basically take this as a as a wash on the interior. Now, last year, like I said, by and large, interior they were okay. And I think okay is kind of what you can expect from this group. They've got a little bit more, I think, quality depth behind them this year than you did last year. Last year, Mike Arnold was split in time with Dante Lucas, and I, you know, I was plain, plain spoken about what I thought of Arnold as a player last year. I didn't think he was very good. He was always out of shape and just didn't move well enough. Uh, and you're replacing Arnold with Maurice Smith, who I think is is p- going to be a good player in the future and actually is a pretty good player now. Uh, Smith and Andrew Baselli basically are your two main, main backups for all three spots at the guards and the center spot. And those two guys are actually both pretty reliable players. They're decent. So you're looking at... And Baselli last year was coming in after basically having taken a year off. So you're you're a little bit better there. And then... Instead of Christian Armstrong, you have actually freshman Thomas Schrader. So, you know, you can probably count that as a little bit of an upgrade. Armstrong was was uh, was already uh, dealing with issues in terms of his lateral quickness there, had some issues. But you don't really expect much from a true freshman, and you hope he doesn't have to play much. So, again, pretty close to a wash on the interior. Maybe just a little bit better because Smith is going to be better than Arnold. But aside from that, you're, you're really looking at an okay situation on the interior, which is, I mean, that's better than nothing. And if you're going to want to be, if you want, if you want to be crappy, better to be a little bit crappy at the tackles where you can get a little bit of help on the edge rather than on the interior where, you know, if you've got a team that has a good defensive tackle and you're, and you just can't block them on the interior, then there's nothing that you can do offensively. So there, that, that's actually a, a plus. I mean, if you want to think about it, they're going to be okay. I think they will be average. they will be at least average on the interior this year from guard to guard to guard. That's that they'll be about average. 
The problem is really at tackle where last year you had Jawan Williams and Ryan Roberts. And this year you've got Darius Washington and Devontae Taylor. So Jawan Williams goes out at left tackle and he was backed up by, uh, by Abdul Bello. This year you've got Darius Washington, who is essentially from what we can tell backed up by Robert Scott or Chaz Neal. So maybe maybe a little bit better at the backup position. It's not clear that they're any that they're really a whole lot better there than than what Abdul Bello was last year. Bello had made some improvement before last year, so let's not forget that. And you're basically trading Jawan Williams, a guy who had had tons of shoulder problems and also had some other issues in terms of uh, dealing with pressure, you know, play under pressure for a redshirt freshman who just who's coming off of shoulder surgery. So you're dealing with you're going from one guy who's a former four star recruit, actually was close to a five star recruit at offensive tackle with a history of shoulder problems to a new guy with a history of shoulder problems on the outside. And there's really nothing behind him. Darius Washington is in a lot of respects one of the most important, if not the most important player on the offense uh, behind uh, behind Blackman. Because Darius Washington is, if he goes down, you you basically are going to have to slide. Maybe Brady Scott slides out there. Not likely. Maybe you have to put Devontae Taylor out there and that's not good. And in the absence of that, you better hope that Chaz Neal can play. Also not really optimistic about that right now. And if none of those guys work out, you're looking at a true freshman out there, Robert Scott. So, Darius Washington needs to be out there, plain and simple. He's going to have to make, he's going to have to stay healthy enough to be out there. Now, I think he actually will be a mild upgrade if he's able to stay healthy enough to to not be affected by by that uh, by those shoulders and by that shoulder that he had surgically repaired. If he's able to stay healthy enough, I think he's a, a bit of an upgrade over Jawan Williams from last year, partly just because he in the time that he showed last year. Before getting hurt, he showed that he didn't have some of the, uh, the the play under pressure issues that Williams did. So there's a little bit more reason for optimism there. So he can at least be, I think, below average at the left tackle spot if he's on the field. If he's not on the field, they go from below average to flat out bad at the left tackle spot. And that that's when you that's when you have start having trouble. And then you go on the right side. You go from graduate transfer Ryan Roberts from Northern Illinois to graduate transfer Devonte Taylor from FI, uh, FIU. So problem is Devonte Taylor is really a guy that they wanted at guard. R- ideally you would have Dante Lucas, baby Johnson and Devonte Taylor at guard. And then you'd actually be, you'd go from being okay at, at, on the, on the interior to pretty good on the interior. You'd have a chance to be pretty good. Unfortunately, they just don't have another tackle that they can, that they can trust so they had to slide Devonte Taylor out there, and quite frankly, you're gonna you're gonna get more or less. If they get equivalent an equivalent level of play from Devonte Taylor as what they got from Ryan Roberts, then that that's pretty much a win for what you're expecting there. Maybe he's a little better. Maybe he might be a little worse. But you know, you're looking at, at overall parity is kind of what you can expect. So, really. You have to say that absent something happening that is unexpected, 
if the offensive tackle position winds up just being a little below average this season, then that's that's kind of best case scenario. You're hoping that your offensive tackles are a little below average rather than flat bad on the season. The plus is that you're not going against some of the best pass rushers that were originally on the schedule because they're sitting out. So that's 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 a really good good news for Florida State is okay. You're worse at ta- you're you're no better at tackle potentially, but the the teams that you're facing are actually worse at edge because the best guys that you played at edge last year either went to the NFL or are sitting out. So that might actually help make things look a little bit better just because they're not facing as many good guys on the outside. But this is also where losing Jordan Wilson, the UCLA transfer at tight end H-back, is a real kick in the shorts. Because he was going to be that 250-pound, well-developed college player as a senior at the position who really brought, brought it as a blocker. And you could you could leave him in to help chip as uh, help one offensive t- offensive tackle in pass protection if you needed. You could have him uh, work on double teams and that sort of thing and be kind of uh, a support to the to the tackle as a uh, as a run blocker. Also, Norvell does a lot of split zone and and uh, and H back lead power type stuff. So you're getting a really good, really good blocker in those contexts that really help that edge. And all of a sudden he's gone and that, that really stings. That's, that's, that really hurts. And that, I guess, leads us into the situation at tight end. So we should go ahead and talk about the tight end position because the tight end position works hand in glove with the offensive line position in a lot of respects. And particularly in Norvell's system where they use that guy really flexibly and try to use him a lot to help that offensive line wherever it might be weak. This segment is brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to HomeAdvisor and Angie's List. They're licensed and insured and have been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. So if you need painting and drywall work or overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, cabinets, shelving, slot wall, accessories for anything you have, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers for all of your storage and organizational needs you'll have the best garage in the neighborhood. Information in the show notes, let them know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Well, unfortunately, Florida State at the tight end position, if you look at last year to this year, you can expect that this year's tight end position, H-back position, will be worse than last year. You're going from Trey McKitty, who's a stud, stud athlete. Now, sometimes a little bit of, sometimes struggle with drops, underachieved, I think, as an, uh, in terms of after the catch last year but still just a stud athlete and a guy that if they'd have been able to keep him on, on the roster guy that really could have helped them as a blocker in particular, you're looking at a guy that's defensive end size that moves really well, super strong guy. And now you, you don't have that guy and then you replace him with Jordan Wilson. So hopefully that's pretty close to, to, to a wash in terms of at least the blocking and then Wilson's out. And so now you're down to Cam McDonald, who's really your receiving option there. I mean, McDonald's more of a receiver than he is an H-back in terms of his his nature. He's had to work really hard on becoming a better blocker, and he's going to need to be a better blocker. So I think in terms of blocking help and all of that, they've gotten a good bit worse than they were than, than what you would have expected going into last year. Now, McDonald, I think, is actually a better receiving threat than McKitty, even though McKitty maybe a, a little bit more explosive athlete. McDonald is really long and has some of the best hands, if not the best hands on the team. 
So you can expect some some positive things out of the position in that respect. But the other guy that you're really hoping to get something from there is former quarterback Wyatt Rector. 235 pounds. Hopefully you can get the physicality out of him that you need to be to provide a to provide some help on the edge as a blocker. And again, good athlete with the ball in his hands if 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 it comes to that. So that's what you're hoping for. But I and I would say, you know, the thing the thing is, given that situation, given that you've lost McKitty and you've lost Wilson, I'd say given what we've seen from Norvell in the past, expect more three wide, two back situations to allow more flexibility in terms of formation. And he would use that running back, sometimes put one of the running backs in the H back role or line him up, you know, just off the line of scrimmage in in that kind of situation in a sniffer or just off the tackle basically serving as a as a kind of tight end even though that guy is really a running back he'll he'll move him around and do that stuff with him i'd say to expect that more this year given the situation at tight end but the problem is that the running back position is also a question mark we're getting close to a half an hour here with this episode so i'm going to go ahead and end it here and i'm going to do part two of the offense in the next episode which will release very shortly after this one but until then The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. Once again, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave us five-star rating. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.